0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to a new episode of the new American media podcast hosted by yours truly, Garangala. Today on the pod, we've got something different for you guys. The past couple of episodes we've had entrepreneurs on who have started these amazing companies from absolutely nothing from when they immigrated to this country to these great companies. Today our guest is going to be a little bit different. He came from India and pursued multiple degrees in higher education, became an attorney, Harvard grad, Princeton grad, and his goal was, similar to mine, to help immigrants of all facets from all countries in achieving the American dream and trying to come over to the United States. As you know, our podcast is about bringing what I term new American entrepreneurs, small business owners, and of those of the like. Could you kind of talk a little bit about your parents and how that came to be?
1: Sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much, Goran, for having me on. Uh, I actually immigrated in 1973 when I was just two months old. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I was an infant when I got here and and things were going great until suddenly they did not in the recession of 1973. But thanks to the generosity of the American people, we were, um, even though we hit the economic skids during that recession, we were allowed to move into public housing and food stamps for a time. And um, so I lived in, in, in those two programs or uh, benefited from those two programs for about half of my early childhood. And then uh, my father was allowed to complete his studies and um, later on found an excellent job in, of all places, Peoria, Illinois, Goron. And so we uh, moved to Peoria and and that was really the beginning of the golden period of our lives, because that's when we entered the middle class. And pretty much every night at the dinner table, I, I remember my father saying something something along the lines of, you know, think of the greatness of this country. Think of the greatness of uh, its institutions and whatever the two of you do, my brother and me, you know, try to make sure this country is there for the next families who need it. And so that became, you know, kind of the North Star of my personal compass. And so fast forward through law school and and working in the public and private sectors. And uh, now I'm, you know, elected to Congress and my life has come full circle and I can actually pursue that mission statement of how do we, you know, how do we make sure America is there for the next families who need it? And that's kind of my sacred
0: mission. That's amazing. Very great to hear. And that shows coming from India, living in public housing And having that to become the person you are today, tell me a little bit kind of, you know, growing up, some of the lessons you learned from your mother and father, and kind of what they instilled in you. I know, you know, as my Indian parents, a similar way, you know, they either want you to be like a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, that kind of thing. So what were those, you know, kind of talks in the Krishnamurti household, you know?
1: uh, it's a great question. You know, I think what I, if I reflect back on what my parents taught me, and they really are my heroes, Garung. They, they were the ones who really sacrificed more than me or anyone else in my, you know, where I've come, uh, arrived today. I think a few things stand out. One is um, they really, I have to say, they really respected everybody and treated everyone with dignity. And they had a specially soft corner for people who were in a vulnerable position, whether it was financially or whether it was because of a health issue or whether it was because of a, you know, a unique family circumstance. Um, and I remember so many times when, you know, these types of people Continue would to come to our home and, and and we would just sit and, and as a family pray together for them and, and be with them and comfort them. And, you know, my parents didn't have much in the way of money, but they had, you know, they shared whatever they had and they um, made it a point to, to just be there for, for other people and treat them with incredible respect and dignity. I think the second thing that my parents instilled in us was faith. Um, you know, we happen to be Hindu Americans and my parents were devout, um, And they were in a a way devout without like making people uncomfortable or preaching to other people all the time, what they should and shouldn't be doing. But I guess what that did was it sustained them through kind of the highs and the lows. It humbled them when, when they had good news. Right. Um, But, but, but it also, you know, sustained them and, you know, we would get a financial blow or we would get some other bad news um, and I think that that has stayed with me to today um, in terms of uh, the other thing the last thing I would mention is education and I think that that more than anything else was kind of drilled home very early on I think this is true for most Indian American families in Desi and they see in South Asian families which is education is your ticket to the future there's nothing else and a public 100%. school public school education is uh the gateway to the american dream. Now my parents didn't have the resources for private school, but we were so fortunate to be in a public school system where you know, I got a tremendous amount of tough love. I got <laughs> I I was paddled in the 3rd grade. I remember it like yesterday. Um, oh wow. Okay. By Mrs. Middendorf who um, uh uh she she was also the one that said, your son has, to my parents, your son has tremendous potential. We need to get him into, you know, more uh, activities that occupy his energy, his very high energy. And um, by the way, I, I also remember because she worked two jobs. She worked as a public school teacher and she worked at, uh, at, that, at that time a big department store called Carson Ferry Scott. And... Um, She just didn't have enough money to make ends meet as a teacher. And that also has informed my deep respect and desire to help uh, public schools and public school teachers because, um, you know, I, I benefited so greatly.
0: No, that's great. I remember I had a teacher, one of my AP biology teachers, similar to that, where she got her degree from Duke and had over 100 grand in student debt. But, you know, as a teacher in the North Carolina public school system here, they're making like 35000 45000 back right. in you know, the late 90s. This was the right. late 90s.
1: Right, right. I, I mean, I think, you know, it, they're not single people. They usually have children. They have families. They are professionals. And um, to have them in that situation uh, is not only untenable for them. But it's also a sign of like how um, little value we place on education as a country and public school education. And, and the, we, we talk a big game in Washington, D.C. We talk a big da- game as politicians. But when the when the uh, chits are down, so to speak, uh, we don't put our money where our mouth is. And that's something that's a long run challenge for us and for me. Quite frankly.
0: No, you're you're definitely correct. One of the great things, I think, especially here in North Carolina, that kind of separates us from a lot of the other Southern states, was the 40 years of Democratic administrations going back from Terry Sanford to Jim Hunt, that put emphasis on public colleges community colleges. Our community college system is second only to the state of California. Hmm. And I think education is highly important to help, um, you know, what I say, new Americans, but also all Americans to gain access into the middle class. So tell me when you went to college and what your thoughts were on, you know, becoming an attorney? Did you think about studying or working in corporate law, working for a large corporation? Or did you want to go work in the DA's office, be a public defender? Kind of what, what was going through your mind at that age, you know, 24, 25 years old, when you're making this decision, what were you thinking about?
1: Um, I wanted to pay off my debts y'all right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> more than anything else. I had about a hundred thousand dollars of law school debt. Um, I had, I had some debt from my, uh, college, my undergraduate days. And, you know, my first priority was I want to get rid of my debt ASAP because, you know, I wanted to, um, then have some freedom with regard to what are my next career options And so um, I went to a firm called Kirkland & Ellis. It's based in Chicago. Um, And um, it was thought to be, at the time, when I graduated from law school, um, you know, a very, very difficult place in terms of hours and work. Um, And honestly, I didn't know if I would survive more than a couple years. I I decided I would just kind of live on ramen noodles and just... (laughs) I saved every, I, 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 maybe I took it to an extreme, but I, I tried to save every single dime I could possibly save and just pay off that debt. Um, and, uh, but then I I ended up getting just a great mentor and I stayed for about seven years. I became a partner in litigation. Um, I got married in interim, had a child, we had a child, uh, we bought a house, but, um, you know, basically, uh, I can't say enough good things about my private law experience because, a, I mean, the work ethic is just, um, you know, that they instill is is, you know, it it it's kind of like being in the seals or something, in, in the navy. I mean, it's you, you're 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 asked to perform at a very high level. The clients are paying you tremendously for, you know, bet the company litigation and, um, and and so you just have to get there, right? And right, so um, right. I'm, I'm fortunate um, uh, about that decision. I have some incredible mentors and I'm, I'm friends with them today and that, that analytical approach that they brought that, that I had to work on, um, you know, carries with me to, to, to my work today.
0: No, that's amazing. Let's, let's be honest here, though. You weren't eating as much ramen as it was probably Maggie noodles, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. Exactly, exactly. I, uh, you know, my, my noodle choices uh, changed over time, but uh, you, you get the drift.
0: Right. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. So a um, couple of questions also I had. I noticed like, you know, being from Illinois, I was got first politically engaged, you know, after the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan started and we found out the whole weapons of mass destruction were a big hoax. And, you know, that 2006-2008 cycle with President Obama was kind of where I got engaged at, you know, 22, 23, 24 years old. Wanted to talk to you about how you first met him and kind of how that was. And did you really see him becoming president and, you know, just some kind of, you know, anecdotal, funny things that you might know about him that no (laughs) one else knows?
1: Well, I... I could pretend that I did, but I would be lying if I told you I saw any of the future um, at that time with Barack Obama. You know, when I met him, uh, he was a state senator, um, you know, well respected. Um, The person who introduced us said, you know, the two of you are uh, from the same law school. And and then, uh, you know, President Obama made the mistake of inviting me to lunch uh, and, um, we got to talking and, and he, uh, was going to run for Congress at that time. And so I, uh, decided to volunteer on his congressional campaign. I worked on it and, um, it just, you know, it didn't go as well as planned. Let me put it that way. <laughs> and, and in terms of what I would say, that's maybe slightly unique. Although at this point I've, I've talked to different authors of books about this and stuff is, um, I remember in the summer of 2002, he was, he, he was in his law, uh, office at that time and in the, and, and, and he had an, he had an attic office. There's an office in the attic. It was oh, about a wow. hundred, it felt like 95 degrees. I mean, it was just so hot. He was sweating bullets. I was too. and, and. I, you know, I said, "Gosh, man, this is really, uh, you know, what's going on here? What's your, you know, you're working so hard?" And he said, "You know, I have to pay off my credit card debt. He had about ten thousand dollars of credit card debt, which is a ton of money." And and this is twenty years ago, right? So, hundred uh, percent. And 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 yet, um, you know, he he had to pay off the credit card debt, and then on top of that, um, oh, I remember hi, he got a call hi, I from have somebody. From and Congressman, how are you? And he, he basically um, um, right here, right. got a call from someone who needed help with a pro bono awesome. matter. Um, she had been the victim of domestic violence and he he stepped in and and helped her. And um, I just remember that because I, I thought that said so much about his character. Um, and um, in any case, I'm, I, I was so impressed by him.
0: That's amazing. That's a good story. Very good story. I'm jealous that you've got to meet him. My goal is at some point, I want to meet President Obama. Let's talk about, I would say, your foray into politics and kind of with you being an attorney, working on litigation, how did you move over into the political realm and you know, obviously you had some losses before your win in 2016 and kind of what pushed you to continue going?
1: Um, you know, basically I ended up, uh, after a long time in public and private service, I ended up running myself, uh, in, in, uh, 2009 for state comptroller Uh, I ended up losing by one percentage point, less than one percentage point in the state Democratic primary. And, um, you know, people thought, okay, well, you know, maybe this guy's got game. Uh, And so uh, people continued to support me. And then I um, I I decided to run for uh, this seat uh, and I ended up taking the silver medal uh, that time, uh, not the gold. Um, I always say, you know, you, you don't win or lose, you win or learn. And I certainly learned a lot uh, in that first run for Congress. And um, I, I didn't know what was going to happen after that, run, But basically, um, uh, then Senator, I'm sorry, then Congresswoman Tammy Duckworth, who held the seat, decided to run for U.S. Senate. And so the seat opened up. Um, and because I had run previously without you know, uh, breaking a lot of China, so to speak, or, uh, <laughs> inj- you know, insulting her or, uh, doing anything that would, um, you know, besmirch, uh, our uh, reputation. I-, I-, I ended up being able to run again a second time this time with the support of a lot of her supporters and I won. And so, uh, here I am, I'm in the fifth year and, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, uh, live up to the, uh, you know, I guess the values that we advertise in the campaign way back then and and, and continue to work as
0: hard as I can today. No, that's amazing. That's a great story.
1: I I really appreciate the opportunity to be with you. I'm sorry, I have to, um, I'm going for a groundbreaking right now. but I you know look forward to joining you again on what's an excellent, excellent podcast.
0: Thank you. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to come on. Congressman yes, Raja Krishnamurthy. I appreciate yes, it. Have a wonderful you. day.
1: You too, my friend. Thank you.